0: Welcome to Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Serena.
1: And I'm Katie.
0: And today, we will be discussing two weeks' worth of Come, Follow Me, Doctrine and Covenant sections 84 through 87.
1: Yes. And we are members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Dialogue Podcast Network is a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, and arts, and culture. Uh, One really good episode from one of our fellow members of the Dialogue Podcast Network just recently is, at last she said it's What about blessings episode? They talk about how some people love to talk about blessings and some people are just confused about the concepts of like, How to, quote, earn blessings and how there's a little bit of strain there with how people perceive blessings in the church. It's a really good discussion. There were so many moments where I was like, (gasps) I've thought that before, too. Like I loved Mm -hmm. listening to it. Be sure to check that out. They have their own website at LastSheSaidIt.org, or you can visit them on Dialogue's website, DialogueJournal.com.
0: Oh, I also wanted to say that Derek and James on Beyond the Block had a really great episode this week, and they talked a lot about autism and kind of the intersection between the queer identity and some commonalities that we experience in regards to the church. Anyway, it was really good. It wasn't the whole episode, but I I really love that they were able to tie that in
1: there. It was a good chunk of the episode at the beginning. I listened to it after you talked yeah. about it. And, oh, good. like, I had to listen to uh, – literally, I rewinded it four times and listened through that section over and over because it was really complicated language for me. But mm-hmm. the more I listened to it, the more I was like, oh, wow, like, this is really, really crucial.
0: Yeah, I uh- – I'm really proud of Derek for finding that scholar who's autistic and incorporating it so well. And I'm also like really proud of you for listening to it over and over and over again. Yeah. So two really good episodes recently from two of our favorite podcasts in the podcast network. So check those out, y'all.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into a summary of the sections we're looking at in Doctrine and Covenants. I'll be really brief, but let me know if I miss anything. Okay. Doctrine and Covenants 84 is revelation mostly regarding the priesthood. The revelation was given when Joseph was gathered with six returned missionaries. Section 85 talks about the inheritances in Zion. 86 is revelation given while translating the Bible. And then 87 is revelation given while the brethren were reflecting upon slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like 84 is probably my new favorite section of the Doctrine and Covenants that we've read. I feel like there's so many parts in 84 that like, I mean, I guess Come Follow Me talks here and there about issues with church culture when the church was starting, and they're probably different than the issues we see with church culture today. But I feel like 84 did a really good job at like clarifying church culture things that we have today. Like, there's some things that are really direct about, like, here's the way that it should be. And I'm like, huh, culture doesn't really reflect that. So, verses 17, 20, and 21 talk about the priesthood. And I feel like, in general, attitudes of the priesthood are so closely connected to men and men that Mm -hmm. hold the priesthood in our church today that it kind of dilutes how holy the priesthood is. Like, I feel like it's, Done so much that it becomes disrespectful Mm. for the actual, like what actually the priesthood is. And I feel like 17, 20, and 21 really just like hit that hard. Let's see. The priesthood continueth in the church of God in all generations and is without beginning of days or end of years. I read that as like the priesthood existed without men, period. Like it doesn't have a beginning or an end, it's just always been there. And it doesn't need to work under the power of a human being. It just works because it's the power of God. And it it's just so much bigger than what we attribute it to today. 20 and 21, it says in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest without the ordinances thereof, the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. I just read that as like, the priesthood is the power to bring about godliness. I think that people don't really think about the requirements and the responsibility that come with holding the priesthood, how you really can't use it unless you're being Christlike, unless you're acting in the power of God. And anything outside of that is disrespectful to the power itself.
0: I like that you pointed it out because honestly, when I was reading this section, I just... I don't know. The word priesthood gets mentioned and I either dissociate or just like <laughs> yeah. roll my eyes or something, you know, because <laughs> I'm just like, like you said, it's very much tied to het men. I'm not a cishet man. I'm a queer cis woman. Huh. I really like how you pointed out that it doesn't need a human being to exist it, mm-hmm. it without beginning or end, right? It's just the power of God, of the divine. And I really hope that we can apply that and recognize that trying to confine all that power to just cishet men and for a long time only cishet white men, Mm-hmm. Is so limiting and is not in line with the expansive and inclusive and omnipotent nature of the priesthood, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. at least if we're going off of what these verses say. So, AKA priesthood, I. How radical am I allowed to be on here?
1: <laughs> well, actually, Come Follow Me gets a little tiny I mean radical for Come Follow Me. I was surprised at what it said in Come Follow <laughs> okay. Me. So say whatever you want.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, well, I was just gonna say, uh, women should have the priesthood, but not even but then I was going to amend that and say that not only women should have the priesthood, but but the priesthood shouldn't be contingent on gender, right? Because mm-hmm. if we say Women and men both have the priesthood, then we're excluding people who exist at, with um outside the gender binary, or possibly excluding people who are trans and don't meet the church's cis-normative standards. Does that make sense? hmm Yeah, I just... Mm. I guess on one hand, you kind of, like, reopened the expansive nature of the priesthood to me, and I'm a little bit like, oh, I forgot that existed. That's really cool. Huh, like, God's power on earth, that is kind of cool, <laughs> you know? But then on the other hand, I'm like, wait, only, only these cishet men who are, like, notorious for not respecting people get the power of God? Like, hmm, it seems a little counterintuitive to me,
1: anyway. Right. And I feel like now I feel like when people speak about the priesthood, they say, we'd like to thank the priesthood for passing the sacrament, for example. That's talking about it as if the priesthood is a person or a group of people, men, and that's not true. I feel like that's kind of cultural that that happened that's how i read that Mm -hmm. and i feel like the church is starting to recognize that and reject that it's really interesting the direction come follow me took this let me read it really quick yeah elder paul b piper taught it is interesting that in the oath and covenant of the priesthood the lord uses the verbs obtain and receive he does not use the verb ordain It is in the temple that men and women together obtain and receive the blessings and power of both the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthoods. And that's quoting an insign article from 2016. I read that and I was like, oh, I never heard before I personally went through the temple that women have anything to do with the priesthood. And then in the temple, you see women use the priesthood on other women putting our hands on other women to give blessings through the power of the priesthood. And I know this isn't as radical as we want to read it as we want the priesthood to exist because the priesthood is the power of God manifest to men, meaning people. Um, I feel like it could be expanded a lot more and still be within the purpose of what the priesthood is on earth. But I do feel like, Come Follow Me takes this in a direction that is more radical than most members would read it at this time. What do you think?
0: I agree that that's progressive in comparison to like what we grew up with. But have you seen that like, um, political science graph with the x and y axis and like the four quadrants? Political spectrum. Have you seen the political spectrum?
1: Oh, oh, where like it has different fields. And if you believe this and this and this, then you're in the upper right. Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. I have okay. seen that.
0: Okay. So <laughs> because this is a verbal thing, I'm going to try to describe it. So you have an x-axis and a y-axis. The x-axis, just as a reminder, is the horizontal one. The y-axis is vertical, right? Because those two intersect, you have four little quadrants, upper left, upper right, bottom right, bottom left. So you comparing the church come follow me statement to what we grew up in the past as being more progressive is true. But also, it's still just very not progressive. Does that make sense? And it's kind of like the difference between if you look at Trump and Biden, they're both in the upper right of this axis they're both more authoritarian and more right-leaning than centrist, right? They're not even centrist at this point. Like if you map all these different presidential candidates, like the one I'm looking at is the U.S. presidential candidates for 2020. And you have Trump all the way, like almost in the very top right. You have a couple people who are a little bit more right than him, but he's like the most authoritarian one. And he's like, Anyway, super top right. And then you have Biden, who's, like, significantly less authoritarian. Like, not even half as much as Trump. But only, like, 20% closer on the economic scale to the left. Because the economic scale is the x-axis. Warren, Elizabeth Warren, she's, like, pretty centrist. She's, like, way closer to the center. Like, like kind of, like, in that little corner. Um, but it's still in this upper right little... Quadrant, Right. And then you have like Sanders, Bernie Sanders, who's like kind of where Warren is, except kitty corner to that in the like left side of the economic scale and below the X axis, which means that he's slightly more libertarian. Does that make sense? So like mm-hmm. even Sanders in this, Bernie Sanders, who we think... Not we, but like the American public tends to consider him very extreme and leftist. He's still centrist. You know what I mean? So the Mm. fact that Come Follow Me said that women obtain and receive priesthood blessings and power in the temple, like, yeah, it's slightly closer to what we want it to be. But in my opinion, if we keep going at that pace, we're not going to get anywhere.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about things that already exist but we don't talk about them very much. So like, yay, but they exist regardless. Like good. Let's bring about more things that should exist that don't.
0: Mm -hmm. I was wondering what the church's policy is on administering the priesthood to people with intellectual disabilities.
1: Oh yeah. So it's the same concept of baptizing people with intellectual disabilities It's like a conversation between, like, the parents and the bishop and discussing with the individual as far as is possible. And they decide Mm -hmm. how to move forward. It's that same kind of concept, I guess.
0: Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to do more research on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing to point out that the priesthood isn't even given to all worthy males still, Mm -hmm. if you think about it that way. Like, that's what we say all the time, but that excludes people that are worthy, that have intellectual disabilities, that it's taken from them based on a level of intellect, which is, you know, always going to be an imperfect measure of like actual understanding and comprehension. And obviously also the ability to feel the spirit, the ability to make choices, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we didn't leave that out.
1: Yeah. So another thing that Doctrine and Covenants 84 kind of pokes at So verse 46 is where Mm. I'm going. I first want to mention in The Faithful Feminists, ooh, I think they talked about it when they talked about section 76, which talks about the plan of salvation. They talked about the ethnocentrism of the church. So ethnocentrism is the concept of whatever country you're from, you think your country's the best, period. Like it doesn't matter what your country is. You just are born into it and you just think it's the best
0: yeah evaluation of other cultures according to preconceptions originating in the standards and customs of one's own culture okay so it's not it's blurry because sometimes we equate one specific culture to be american or one specific culture to be like mormon but it's culture based and there can be multiple cultures in an ethnicity or in a nation's but anyway continue sorry
1: yeah, so the the actual definition doesn't include religion, but the faithful feminist kind of added that concept in because that is a concept mm-hmm. at least in our church that we believe we're the one true church and we have the fullness of the gospel and there's truths in other places but we have all the truths, you know. Mm-hmm. So 46 says, "The Spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world." Enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit. And when you hearken to the Spirit, you come unto God. And I feel like that humbles us in a way that says, like, all people have the capacity to feel the Spirit and to be guided by the Spirit and to be led to truth. And that's not necessarily unique in our church like you can be Mm -hmm. not even a christian and feel the spirit and be led to truth right
0: yeah i really love that you pointed that out that was a verse that caught my eye too I love that it says that, but I wish more people in the church would internalize it. You know, I don't know what the problem is with that. Like, are we not pointing it out as much? Or are there not enough verses like these in the scriptures? You know what I mean? Or is it Mm -hmm. just that the people who are the loudest and have the most power and authority are skipping over these scriptures so they're not being amplified? You know what I mean? Like, it makes me wonder Why, when we do have these scriptures that break down ethnocentrism and just a bunch of tools in white supremacy's belt, why we're not feeling them and incorporating them into our lives as, like, a church.
1: Yeah, and it's still, it's almost like there's, like, a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints supremacy where we're, like, we're the one, we're it, we're the top dogs. Everyone else, like, poor them. They don't have it. We need to help them, you know? And, like, I I feel like that's disrespectful. But think about, like, the influence of that notion in the church. I remember literally being at school and being, like, the only member in one of my classes. Well, except for my twin sister. She was, like, in every class with me. (laughs) But, like, when I was a child, when I was in primary and thinking about, like, how sad for, like, my friend – who doesn't know about God and doesn't know about the gospel when, like, I don't even know if they were Christian. Like, I just looked down on them for, like, not knowing about these things and how, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a way to have a good attitude about being confident in your religion and confident in your spirituality, but not pushing it on other people and being, like, poor them, we have to save them from themselves and from their own Concepts of spirituality and faith and God, and we have to make them have ours, right? Mm, That's mm -hmm. where it gets into like an imperialist, supremacist kind of attitude. Yeah. But we don't talk about that in our church. We don't talk about that, but we do talk about how we are the only true church and how can those not hold hands? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, that has roots in a lot of different things. Not even just us, but Christians in general have done that all over the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess we're unique in that we do it to other Christians, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Which,
0: I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, Probably bad. Um, <laughs> But, like, what you were saying about, like, looking down on people and thinking, oh, they're so poor, poor them. Like, that just reminds me of the savior complex that we see also with white people but also with ableism mhm able-bodied and neurotypical people like feel bad for disabled and neurodivergent people be like oh we have to save you let us help you like right right there's this assumption that what we are currently is not good that we're not living happy fulfilled lives and that we must automatically want to join the other side mm-hmm. and if possible these people on that other side want to welcome us with open arms because there's no way in hell ha 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 pun intended um <laughs> that was unintentional I want Derek that was listening. really
1: good yeah so <laughs>
0: Because there's no way in hell that we could possibly like want to stay where we are. We see this also with race. Um, We see this with mixed people, including myself. The assumption is that we want to be approved by whiteness, want to assimilate, want to pass for white. And for some people, this is a matter of survival. For a, a lot of Black people and for people who have darker skin, this is, was a survival mechanism. Even within, like, my Philippine ancestors, it was a survival mechanism to try to pass for white. And I recognize that I'm privileged in the sense that I feel like I don't need to or I don't want to, that I'm able to reject that feeling of wanting to be accepted by the dominant supremacist culture because my life is not as threatened as theirs were does that make sense Mm -hmm. the point is the assumption is that we want to assimilate into the oppressor's society and culture and that's just because of how much we've heard this mindset of well we're better obviously you want to be one of us whether that's whiteness or whether that's Christianity in general or whether that's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints in particular, and whether that's neurotypicalness and able bodiedness. Like, no, I don't want to assimilate within white culture. I don't want to pass for white because I don't want my family, I don't want myself to imbue those values, right? Because I, I think they're very harmful and everything can honestly be traced back to that. I don't know. It's, it's a struggle, I guess, is what I'm saying.
1: That's the effects of assuming that whiteness is the standard or, like, the norm and anything... Mm-hmm. Like if that's like the center of a bullseye and you're, you know, kind of like the the X and Y axis thing that you're talking about, if you assume the center and then everything else is in relation to the center, you assume how good or how right something is based on the center, right? Where all these identities, races and religions and understandings of spirituality, like there's not just one and it and in the church, in Article of Faith 13, like we're supposed to pursue all things that are virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy. And not just say only whatever is on the church website and from the prophet is what we believe, right? No. Like we need to use our brains We need to use our time on earth and seek truth. And we need to respect other people who are using their time on earth to seek truth. However they feel the need to. Anyway, I feel like verse 46 really speaks to that well. That, let me just read it one more time. The spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important verse. It's interesting though, the verses after that talk about the whole world lying in sin and groaning under the darkness and under the bondage of sin and then it goes on this little rant about how everybody's sinful and in bondage and in darkness and blah blah blah, blah. you know it's just like mm. you just said that everybody who comes into the world receives the spirit you know and is, and is enlightened by the spirit and now you're talking about how sinful the world is and how under bondage the world is you know mm. Like, I'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive, because I think you could perhaps frame them in a way that makes them not mutually exclusive. But the way that they're used, at least, like, verse 46, like you said, like we just talked about, is very affirming of diversity versus, like, (laughs) the verses right after that. Like, what is it? Verses 49 onward until, like, I guess 54 are kind of doing the opposite like they're not affirming of diversity they're basically saying oh no the world is is terrible we need to go out and save them you know
1: yeah i hope people read it like the way i read it is like the fall of adam and eve like we're in a fallen world and we still have the light of the spirit and are able to find truth but we'll come across pain and sin and hard things that come into our life whether we choose it or not you know
0: onto that I mean I think the way that you're reading it is very generous I don't know maybe I'm cynical I don't think a lot of people will read it in the same way that you do does that make sense yeah (laughs) I definitely can see people weaponizing it and I know they have whenever there's a Sunday school lesson they used to like go up to the board with their chalk or their like whiteboard marker and like draw this little T chart and be like okay, now what are the attributes of the world on the right? And what are the attributes of God's church over in this left
1: column?
0: Mm. I'm like, not again. Yeah. And, And not only that, but some of these verses, and I actually wanted to talk about this in relation to verse 46 as well. This association between light and darkness, verse 54 says, and your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received. I think that's, perhaps they don't intend it this way, but I think that's a really dangerous metaphor. Especially, I think it can be dangerous for people who are neurodivergent and are encountering mental health issues. Most of the time, we we know that our minds work differently, or that we're thinking or feeling things that the majority of the public are not thinking and feeling, or at least that they're not letting on that they're thinking and feeling Mm -hmm. we feel that disparity as someone who's neurodivergent and who struggled with different things with depression and anxiety and social anxiety and intrusive thoughts to some extent we know that these things in our minds are not what other people consider light or happy things Mm -hmm. or good or wholesome things necessarily and especially if you're someone who's struggling with like harmful thoughts either to yourself or others harmful intrusive thoughts because of how much it's stigmatized in society you perhaps already feel quote-unquote darkness right in your mind if you attach that darkness to these thoughts right which i think is inevitable living in this neurotypical and like toxic positivity environment and so like to read verse 54 which says your minds were darkened because of unbelief Mm, that's super dangerous because it's saying you brought this on yourself you brought this on yourself because you didn't believe hard enough does that make sense
1: yeah totally
0: and i i really want people to know that that's not true Mm -hmm. that you having thoughts that are different from what is accepted in neurotypical society does not make you evil or any less human or any less worthy of love and doesn't make you any less capable of learning and growing and living a fulfilled life and eternally progressing as we talk about it in the church, right? Like everybody is capable of eternal progression. A throwback to verse 46 (laughs) where the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world. And I'm going to read this again and say the spirit giveth light to every human that comes into the world. The spirit enlightens every human through the world. As I said, I don't, I don't always like the association between light and knowledge just because I feel like it has racist undertones. We're getting into like colorism, right? It could be taken that way. But if we're going to read verse 54, we cannot forget that verse 46 exists, right? We can't forget that every human being receives intelligence and agency. And even if our brains work differently than other people's, that doesn't mean that we're doomed. Yeah. I pay a lot of attention to the cluster B community on Instagram. Did I, have I explained this on the podcast before what cluster B is?
1: Uh I don't know. Give a really brief statement about what cluster B is.
0: Okay. So I think we've talked about the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM, which is yeah. what is used to diagnose mental health issues, personality or mood disorders.
1: In the United States?
0: Mm-hmm. So cluster B is a list of, or a cluster (laughs) of specific personality disorders, and that includes antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. And also some other things, like Brooke was on their podcast earlier talking about PDA autistics, pathological demand avoidance, sometimes PDA autistics their traits also really mimic people in the cluster B. And a lot of times we, I say we, because I'm borderline, we are really, we're kind of seen as like the dark ones <laughs> in the DSM, right? We're seen as the patients that no one wants to work with. We're seen as people who can't progress, who can't have healthy relationships, who are automatically abusers. Like people use these words antisocial, narcissistic, sociopath, psychopath, borderline, psycho, these are all words that people use to attach to somebody when they say, oh, that person is terrible, they're doomed, we don't want anything to do with that person, they're awful, dangerous, to hell with them sort of thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and yeah, even within us, our brains work differently from each other's point is, we're all human right? We all can progress. We all can learn concepts that help us bring happiness to ourselves and to other people. And, and verse 46 is proof of that, right? Mm -hmm. And I just really don't like verse 54. To anyone listening to this, I know it's going to be a struggle and it's easier said than done, but don't let verse 54 bring you down. Like if you're going to take a verse personally And maybe they're battling themselves out in your mind, verses 46 and 54, but hold on to verse 46. Use that one as your go-to scripture, as your mantra, as your comfort when you feel like you're unlovable or people hate you or anything like that. Anyway. Anyway.
1: And I want to specify, I'm sure that you mean this, but I just want to say it. When you say progress, when you're talking about like all of these disabilities and neurodivergencies, you're talking about spiritually, not like progress in an ableist way where it's like eventually they'll be fixed, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like we can learn and grow in a general sense. And that doesn't mean that we're going to quote unquote grow out of our personality disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I hope
1: that made sense. Yeah, that actually goes back to the concept of like assuming that someone who's neurotypical or non-disabled is the center and we're trying Mm. to better ourselves and progress toward the center if we're disabled or neurodivergent. That's not the case. (laughs) They exist in different spheres and they're just as valid in their own spheres. And we can, each of us, no matter what sphere we're in, can progress spiritually and seek truth.
0: Yep. Yep. I wanted to ask you about verses 65 through like 72 in section 84.
1: That's what I was going to jump to next. Yes. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> because I, I was reading that and it was the first time that this kind of like hit me this way, you know. And I'll just read it really quick. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall do many wonderful works. In my name they shall cast out devils. In my name they shall heal the sick. In my name they shall open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf, and the tongue of the dumb shall speak. And if any man shall administer poison unto them, it shall not hurt them, and the poison of a serpent shall not have power to harm them. Um, I wish I had poison, but anyway, sorry, continue.
1: (laughs) Wait, what? Like, in your body, or to use?
0: (laughs) To use. Oh, my gosh. Okay, sorry. I won't... I've i been reading a lot of, like, dark fantasy, okay? Oh, my gosh.
1: I'm sorry. I'm laughing at the fact of how casually you said that. And, like, like, it was just an immediate thought. That was funny.
0: Well, I just think it would work really well with my disabilities, right? Because, like, I can't really run. And I can't, like... Fighting is kind of difficult for me, and I imagine my, if I'm really upset, like, my muscles will, like, collapse, right? And I won't be able to fight or, like, swim or anything, but, like, poison, if I'm mad, I could just, like, drop it in someone's cup, you know? Not that I would do that. The thoughts that are in my head. I just, I'm sorry. I won't, I won't subject you all to these thoughts of mine. <laughs>
1: okay but, so but so but these verses, to these yes. verses yeah
0: <laughs> i'll just ask i was just kind of like uh, some of these are kind of ableist <laughs> do you think that they all are or do you think there's a way to read it where it's not all that way
1: yeah yeah so in when we read these verses i want to invite each of us to level up spiritually Long ago, we used to follow the law of Moses and then Christ came. And now we understand that the law of Moses represented the sacrifice that Christ made. And now we're not asked to follow the law of Moses. And that's what I thought of when I read these scriptures. Like they seem to be saying, use the priesthood to heal the blind and the deaf and the sick and to heal people from poison and to cast out devils. They do seem very physical and literal, but I invite us to level up and read them in a spiritual sense. Let's let's follow the law of Christ instead of the law of Moses here. Let's heal people who have which you know. This is where it gets complicated because there are ableist metaphors that mean spiritual things but use the body, right? So I I don't know. I guess I'm kind of using this <laughs> for my advantage at this point, which I don't know if that's ethical. But that's what the scriptures do at certain parts in the scriptures, so why not apply it here? So let's heal those who are spiritually sick, who are looking to understand God and understand their place in the world, and let's bring spiritual light to them. Those who are not able to speak in prayer, let's like spiritually help them learn how to pray Let's spiritually help people see their blessings if they can't see their blessings. Let's help people learn how to hear the spirit if they don't know how to hear the spirit. Like all of these things can be applied spiritually. And actually, 71 and 72, they kind of poke at the spiritual concepts of these rather than the physical concepts in my mind. It says, and if any man shall administer poison unto them, it shall not hurt them. And the poison of a serpent shall not have power to harm them. And we know throughout the scriptures that when it references a serpent, it's referencing Satan. So if we're looking at this like the poison of a serpent, meaning Satan trying to trick us or bring us away from God, like we need to spiritually heal people and help them to find God instead of succumbing to the poison of the serpent. But what are your thoughts on that?
0: I don't know. I guess the assumption that people want to be healed spiritually is still something that I resist against because so many times it's not that we need healing spiritually, it's just that we're neurodivergent. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah. So when I share all these things, I'm I'm sharing of like people that are seeking truth and seeking to learn more about God and to understand like the healing power of the atonement spiritually and how this whole section is talking about the priesthood. I feel like it's talking about the priesthood here of like using the priesthood in my name to do these wonderful works, but I'm kind of applying it as like helping anyone who has spiritual needs that are unmet, find these healing balms that can come from the gospel. Right.
0: Well, but sometimes people seek it themselves because they don't know that they're neurodivergent. And if they really just understood their neurodivergence and how that's a good thing, then they wouldn't need to, quote unquote, be healed. Does that make sense? Then they wouldn't be seeking that.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a circumstance that's worth discussing and going into. Yeah.
0: Like, obviously, we're very, very diverse, even within the neurodivergent community. Like some people go to therapy because they don't want to have borderline personality disorder anymore. They want to mitigate its effects, right? I I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast. I personally don't go to therapy for my BPD just because of how intertwined it is with my autism. And I don't want to like, I feel like my autistic self has already experienced enough like trauma and masking that I don't want to, I, I can't separate them yet. And so I don't want to do anything to harm that. I just think this group of scriptures is really tough, especially, okay, especially because I don't believe in Satan because I don't know, just every single time that anything remotely satanic is referenced either in the church or in the scriptures, like they're always talking about neurodivergent things. They're always talking about the way we behave, they're talking about the way we speak, the things we believe, the way our minds work, like the, or the way our minds simply cannot work if we're talking about belief and disbelief. Like, you can't force someone to believe if that's not the way their mind works. And that's not the power of Satan. That's just the way we are. And especially with my experiences with not understanding my own neurodivergence in the past and people telling me oh you're only thinking those things because satan's tempting you like no it's not about satan tempting me it's about the fact that i had undiagnosed autism undiagnosed bpd possibly ocd with certain intrusive thoughts like almost everything can be explained psychologically through neurodivergence instead of satanically does that make sense so like yeah If that's the case and Satan does exist, then then what does he do? (laughs) If I can explain something in a neurodivergent way, I'm going to explain it that way. That's my automatic go-to. And to me, in essence, that is limiting the power of Satan. Does that make sense? Like, it's not something that I fear because it's something that can be researched and something that I can understand, even if it takes longer for my brain to wrap my mind around it. Yeah, so so no, I did not. It's it's hard for me to believe in devils and Satan. Um, I'll say it that way because I believe in neurodivergence. Um, and I know neurodivergence exists, and I'm neurodivergent positive. And so, verse sixty-seven, to me, seems pretty harmful because I don't necessarily believe people can be possessed, although. Again, I'm one person. I'm not representative of the entire, like, neurodiversity movement. Maybe there are people that do believe this, but I think this could be weaponized against people who are DAD systems or who have psychosis or schizophrenia, you know, and people are saying that they're, quote, unquote, possessed, right? But no, they're just neurodivergent and or traumatized or both. Mm -hmm. And then versus, like, 71 through 72, like, the poison. I did not read it that way. Like, once again, you saw the metaphor right away. And I'm like, poison. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was just like, okay, that's kind of cool. They're talking about poison. And you're like, oh, it's talking about Satan. And I'm like, oh, I forgot that he existed or that people believe that Satan (laughs) existed and that he's represented by a serpent. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe the scriptures intended that.
1: Yeah. So going back to verse 46, we had a discussion about how everyone can progress spiritually. And then these verses, you're warning people against like assuming that someone should progress spiritually when it's really just neurodivergence in their mind thinking differently. For you, is it... I know it's it's complicated either way and there's not an exact answer and we're just two people having this discussion. But is it more about like people seeking these things themselves and working independently in that journey? Like is that better than someone seeing that they're seeking progression spiritually and trying to help them?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I don't see it as a linear thing. Like I don't see it as over on the left we have the carnal like dark person who needs to progress spiritually and over on the right we have this illuminated white neurotypical person right like I don't see it linearly and I use the words dark and light deliberately like I see it as like yes everybody has the ability to learn and grow and progress but in the way that they choose and it may not make sense to other people I don't think it has to like be in a straight line. I don't even think it has to be a line in general. I think it can be a cloud or tentacles or like ink blot that just spreads, you know, or maybe it's like a Möbius strip that turns in on itself. There's all sorts of ways and shapes that indicate movement and progression and learning and changing. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I think it's really important to point out when we talk about progression spiritually that that doesn't mean that we're trying to get rid of people's identities or something that's like innately part of them, whether it's having to do with disability or neurodivergency or it's having to do with like lgbtq people you know whatever that means you can stay within your identity and still progress toward god because god made you the way that he made you for a reason
0: yeah okay i just want to look at verses 88 these verses i actually think you could interpret them as accommodations like you said you're trying to look for instances that accommodations show up in the scriptures so in verse 88 is addressing people who are supposed to go out and be missionaries verse 88 says and whoso receiveth you there i will be also for i will go before your face i will be on your right hand and on your left and my spirit shall be in your hearts and my angels round about you to bear you up and whoso receiveth you receiveth me and the same will feed you and clothe you and give you money and he who feeds you or clothes you or gives you money shall in no wise lose their reward i'm making it gender neutral and they that do not these things are not my disciple but by this you may know my disciples and so i I really like the idea of angels being there to support you either emotionally spiritually or physically as sort of an accommodation for going on your own somewhere i don't think that lessens the responsibility of humans It doesn't, because if you look at verses 89 through 91, it explicitly states that the humans also have a duty to accommodate you and clothe you, and those who don't do it are not disciples. So I just read this as people who refuse to accommodate someone are not true disciples of Jesus.
1: Yeah, I love that. I also read 88 thinking of the verse that talks about I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. 80 through 87, it's talking about going out and being a missionary. It's asking missionaries to be faithful, to do your best, to teach, and to treasure up the scriptures. And if you do these things, this verse 88, it says, whosoever receive you, there I will be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and your left. Will is The Lord making a promise. I will do this. I will be there. And he's bound to this if you do these other things that it talks about as a missionary. I loved that part too. And then (laughs) I was thinking about how this part is another part that kind of rejects this culture that we have in the church. I think it's ironic that people believe so strongly in capitalism because that's not what Christ taught. And these verses go into that a lot. If you combine the verses that you read, 89 through 91, with verse 112, this one is like the best verse ever. So this is talking about the bishop's responsibility. It says, traveling roundabout and among all the churches, searching after the poor to administer to their wants by humbling the rich and the proud. It says, administer to the poor's wants. And how do we do that? Through humbling the rich and the proud. I was like, oh dang! Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, this is so like if you combine these verses, hello, this is so Christ-like. This is how the church should function. This is how like our country should function. Oh, I loved this verse so much.
0: Yeah, I can't believe I didn't even see that. I completely glossed over it. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> That's going to be one. Can we put this in our scripture mastery where it says humble the rich and the proud? Bezos! Hey!
1: Oh my gosh. So
0: anything to shame the rich is uh, actually in line with the scripture. <laughs> oh, I
1: love it. I know. It's really useful. And there's like a lot of different directions you could go with it that are so like affirming. Everyone is valuable, and if you're rich and proud, you're doing it wrong.
0: And it says the dude they're talking to knew, okay, Whitney should search after the poor,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. And outside of our church, right?
0: Yeah, so outside of mm-hmm. our church, search after them, not just mm-hmm. like, oh, if you happen to find them, and administer to their wants. So there's implied consent here. Because if they don't want something, then it's not consensual, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is super important. You're not just like, showering gifts upon someone who's poor and saying, ha, you wanted this, right? Ha ha, here you go, I'm all done, by." You know, like, some people will say, well, I'm not going to give cash to an unsheltered person because they're just going to use it to buy drugs or alcohol. I'm just going to give, I'll just go buy a meal from McDonald's for them, you know? We need to be really careful about the assumption that We know what's best for these people who are actually going through the experience that we're not going through. And if you're going to help someone, help someone in the way that they are asking you to and not in just the way that you're assuming them to need, you need to afford them the basic dignity and respect that they know what they need and want, you know, and if they're going to use your money to do something that you don't approve of, well, too bad. You gave it to them. That was helping them in that moment. And that money's not yours anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to take a look. I mean, sections 85 and 86 are great, but 87 is really where we need to focus our attention. 87 is where, I mean, in seminary, we were told Joseph Smith predicted the civil war before it happened and this is an example of how he's the prophet and how cool you know and so actually yes this well yes and no well okay let me go into it So this revelation was given 29 years before the civil war actually happened. Joseph asked questions. It says him and some brethren were reflecting and reasoning upon African slavery on the American continent and the slavery of the children of men throughout the world. So they were reflecting upon this and then they received a revelation. Come Follow Me kind of clarifies the timeline on this. It says... On December 25th, 1832, Joseph Smith's mind was occupied with the threat of war. South Carolina had just defied the United States government and was preparing for battle. The Lord revealed to Joseph that... This was only the beginning. War, he declared, will be poured out upon all nations. It seemed like this prophecy would be fulfilled soon, but then it wasn't. Within just weeks, South Carolina and the United States government reached a compromise and war was averted. But the revelation is not always fulfilled at the time or the way we expect. Nearly 30 years later, long after Joseph Smith was martyred and the saints had moved west, South Carolina did rebel and civil war followed since then war throughout the world has caused the earth to mourn quoting doctrine and covenants 87 6 while the prophecy was ultimately fulfilled, the value of this revelation is less in predicting when calamity will come and more in teaching what to do when it does. The council is the same in 1831, 1861, and 2021, standing in holy places and not be moved. And that's quoting the last verse of the section, verse 8. So... 87 verse 1 goes into how there will be a rebellion in South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and misery of many souls. So there was a lot of insight that Joseph had about the war before it happened, based on what was happening at his time and the questions he asked and his concern about slavery. So the revelation was given in 1832 The Emancipation Proclamation was given in 1863, and then slavery was abolished in 1865 with the 13th Amendment. No! Oh my gosh. So I wanted to share some information today about the misconceptions we have about slavery being abolished in 1865, and that's it. So a lot of the information I'm sharing today is from this documentary called 13th. It is available on Netflix, but also the documentary in full is on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, that's like the biggest invite from our podcast today is to watch the 13th. It's incredibly revealing and it helps you learn so much about racism in the United States and how it's systemic. In the 13th Amendment, there was a loophole put in. It says that slavery is abolished except as a punishment for a crime. Because of this loophole, slavery still happens in the United States today through mass incarceration, the school-to-prison pipeline, the war on drugs, over-policing of Black neighborhoods, and all of this feeds into the prison industrial complex. Currently in the United States, there's 2 million people that are imprisoned, and it's been a 500% increase over the last 40 years. The prison-industrial complex is not just prisons themselves, it's mutually reinforced through a web of relationships. This is information from the Empty Cages Collective, which is a project that's aimed to resist the prison-industrial complex, and it organizes toward a prison-free world. It says the things that support this industrial complex is relationships between and not limited to prisons, the probation service, the police, the courts, and all the companies that profit from transporting, feeding, and exploiting prisoners and so forth. Something that I didn't know until last year is how the prison industrial complex is literally a money-making business. What I'm about to share is... Information from a website called the Malta Justice Initiative, and this is an organization created by John Santa. John was in the formation of the Order of the Malta, which is a 900-year-old Catholic lay religious order who work on the behalf of the sick and the poor around the world. John recognized that our prisons are filled with people affected by poverty, and he came to learn that 7 out of 10 inmates were struggling with addictions and or mental issues. Prison was a captive audience of the sick and the poor, and thus the concept of the Malta Justice Initiative was born, uh, is what it says on this website. Their purpose is to address the needs within Spirituality, drug and alcohol addiction, anger management, and then also job training and helping inmates find jobs upon their release. So they shared this information. Prison labor in the United States is referred to as insourcing. Under the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, employers receive a tax credit for $2,400 for every work release inmate they employ as a reward for hiring risky target groups, is what it says. The workers are not only cheap labor, but they are considered easier to control. They also tend to be African-American males. The companies are free to avoid providing benefits like health insurance or sick days. They also don't need to worry about unions, demands for vacation time, raises, or family issues. According to the Left Business Observer, the federal prison industry produces 100% of all military helmets, war supplies, and other equipment. The workers supply 98% of the entire market for equipment assembly services, 93% of paint and paint brushes, 92% of stove assembly, 46% of body armor and 36% of home appliances. of headphones, microphones, and speakers. 21% of office furniture, airplane parts, medical supplies, and much more. Prisoners are even raising seeing-eye dogs for blind people. With all of that productivity, the inmates make about $0.90 to $4 per day. (laughs) Like, how could this not be considered slavery when they're forced into these jobs, barely paid? It lists... Some corporations that use these practices, there's hundreds and hundreds of corporations, but some major ones that you'll recognize are McDonald's, Wendy's, Walmart, Starbucks, Sprint, Verizon, Victoria's Secret, Fidelity Investments, JCPenney, Kmart, American Airlines. All of these corporations use slavery from prisons to make their labor cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people would probably recognize how we use prison labor as an issue, but then probably a lot of people would still be like, but it's not racist. It's just people in prison. And the 13th shares some really important stats where it says that white men, their lifetime likelihood of imprisonment is one in 17. Black men, it's one in three. And Black men are 6.5% of the U.S. population, but they make up 40.2% of the prison population. Obviously, it has a lot to do with race and racism. Like, what else could it be? The only other suggestion you could make looking at the facts would be to say that Black people are innately more bad than white people, which is clearly racist. So there's literally no other explanation.
0: Yeah. Ah, uh, this, this is a heavy thing. I want our listeners to know that we acknowledge that, but it's really important that we all learn about this. Yeah. And there's a ton of examples of how juries and judges are racist and are influenced by racial biases when they make conviction decisions. You know, a white guy doing a more terrible crime will get probation. And won't even have to be in jail, right? Versus a black guy who did a lesser crime will be in jail for like decades, right? And I'm not, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but you can Google it and see that these are things coming from the same judges, right? All of it's interconnected, is what I'm saying. The amount of intergenerational trauma in black and brown communities is very high because of the oppression that white people have put on them for generations. And because of that, you're going to have higher instances of mental illness and neurodivergence. Like, it, it's just a fact. And like you were talking about with statistics in prison, in regards to the amount of mental illness and addiction, etc., you can't talk about ableism and healing from addiction or mental illness without talking about racism as well because they're so intertwined. And I also wanted to point out, since I was talking about cluster Bs earlier, so with ASPD, Antisocial Personality Disorder, it's an actual diagnosis in the DSM, but it's what some people would otherwise know as sociopathy or psychopathy. And I think the diagnosis process is different in the U.K., And I think they call it conduct disorder first and then ASPD or something. Anyway, I I don't know the intricacies surrounding diagnosis in, in other countries, but at least in the US, if you get a diagnosis of ASPD, first of all, the whole diagnostic process in many cases, they're just asking questions about your criminal history. So you can see already that it's biased.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh.
0: Because just because you are ASPD or you have ASPD doesn't mean that you're going to be a danger to society. We can see how there can be a lot of ableism in that assumption. Mm -hmm. So some people don't have escape diagnosis or misdiagnosed because they don't meet the requirements in that way because they haven't ever been convicted, perhaps because they grew up more privileged, right? And so they never had to resort to certain things to survive or just because their privilege allowed them to get away with stuff that black and brown people wouldn't so that's one thing and furthermore prison populations are it's really easy to like conduct like psychological experiments with them because a lot of times they'll be willing to take tests or do these um like questionnaires or whatever anyway i just wanted to say that people with personality disorders are every bit as deserving of love and respect as people who have more common neurodivergencies or mental illnesses like depression or anxiety. And we, meaning people with personality disorders, are actually at higher risk for depression and anxiety than people who are neurotypical. And we deserve to not be demonized. We deserve to be treated as wholly human because we are wholly human. And just because we think differently than you and we feel things differently than you doesn't mean that we're not human.
1: Thank you for that.
0: Anyway, so I guess my point is racial disparities are huge in the prison system and it follows very closely along with neurodivergence and mental illness. And we need to talk about all of those things.
1: Yeah. Going back to section 87, I just want to close with saying verse 8 is wherefore stand ye in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord come for it cometh quickly, saith the Lord. And I just want to say that standing in holy places means being anti-racist and teaching anti-racism in your homes is crucial to making your home a holy place. I love that thank you for joining us today our friends
0: make sure you follow us on instagram at holy human w-h-o-l-y-h-u-m-a-n please donate to our patreon patreon.com holy human and send us an email if you would like to be involved we do interviewees every few weeks with people who are disabled and neurodivergent so send us an email at podcast at gmail.com we're also on facebook
1: we also want to thank Mativ for our intro and outro music. We accessed the song through freesound.org. We'll see you next time, friends.
0: Amen. <laughs>